0: Speaking of kickball, it was a sunny day back in second grade when it was my turn to be a kickball captain. As always, we picked the biggest, the strongest, and the fastest players for our team. We worked down through the students until we got to the last few, which included my best friend, Henry. As the other kids were chosen, he began to frown. Then his frown turned to shock and soon he went away crying. I was puzzled by this. After all, didn't we want to pick the best players for our team? But Henry had another standard in mind. The other kids agreed with him. You're supposed to pick your friends first, they said. Imagine God is the captain of a heavenly kickball team. If God were picking players, God would not choose the biggest and the fastest. God would probably choose the smaller player, the slower player, the weaker player. Time and time again in scripture, God has a special concern for those people forgotten by the world. This goes back to Genesis 12. God chooses Abraham and his family to be the means of blessing for the whole world. We do not learn why Abraham was especially worthy No reason is given for God's choice. In fact, one of the most striking things about Abraham is how human he is. He succumbs to fear more than once, passing off his wife as his sister to save his own skin and also get a little material wealth, too, and having a child with Hagar when God seemed to tarry with the promise So the human susceptibility to anxiety, fear, anger, and downright dysfunction continues through Abraham's descendants. And yet, God does not give up and start over. God does not retract God's promise. Through this seemingly insignificant family, especially its younger, weaker members like Jacob and Joseph, God sustains the promise of blessing through Moses, who couldn't speak well, through the judges who often act destructively, through men who try to be faithful themselves but fail to correct members of their own families, like Eli, who we heard about last week, and Samuel too. Samuel has two sons that the Bible tells us were no good. And even through the kings, God sustains the promise. The kings who are often prideful, unfaithful, and incompetent. Through this grand history of failure, God remains faithful, especially to the insignificant, to the weak, and to the small. And David is small. You could say that he's the eighth of seven brothers. David is so unimportant that Jesse doesn't even bother to bring him to the feast. You can imagine the scene. Elders and prominent families are there. People are eating and drinking, laughing and dancing. But Samuel and Jesse's family are off to the side. They're away from the commotion. Even though Samuel knows that what he's doing over here with Jesse's family is the main event... Samuel still has some trouble recognizing the Lord's voice. I mentioned last week that this, this uh, growing and learning to listen to the Lord's voice was a lifetime skill for Samuel. It took, it took a lifetime for him. Because the eldest, Eliab, looks like a king. Samuel knows he looks like a king. You can, probably, you can imagine, he's probably tall and handsome, swarthy, good looks. Powerful physique, Eliab certainly looked the part. But Samuel hears God's voice at that moment. Don't look at his appearance or on how tall he is, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Some research suggests that attractive people enjoy certain privileges. Humans want someone who looks the part. But God has different standards. God looks for a moldable, teachable heart. And that heart resides in little David. David, the unimportant. David, described as ruddy, with beautiful eyes, and good-looking, which could be translated as pink and pretty, Baby-faced, really. David, the least of his brothers from a tiny village in Judah, David is not chosen because he was the biggest and the best. David was not chosen because he looked like a king. David was chosen because he had an open, teachable heart. That doesn't mean that David was perfect. Not by any means. After David becomes truly great by worldly standards, his heart hardens. Things go downhill from 2 Samuel 7. David does some terrible things. He often fails to act wisely or morally. The power he has certainly corrupts his heart, but it does not destroy it. Psalm 51 is said to be a psalm of David, written after the prophet Nathan confronted him with his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah. And in that psalm, David prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David returns to the Lord, imploring him to restore the clean heart that he had when he was small. One thing that would help us is to remember that God often works in people and places that are unremarkable and ordinary by human standards. Obsession with bigger and flashier is as American as apple pie. Many folks look for the biggest retailers, the most comprehensive media platforms and the largest congregations. People are drawn to what's bigger because they expect it to serve them better. And in many cases, that's true. There's nothing inherently wrong with being big and there's nothing inherently wrong with anyone who goes to those big places. Absolutely not. But when everyone, when the entire society is obsessed with what's big, like the big party Samuel threw in Bethlehem, they can miss out on what's happening in the small. What's happening, they can enjoy the main event. What they think is the main event, but miss the earth-shattering reality God is creating on the sidelines. After all, the word of God was revealed most fully to us in a forgettable carpenter from a forgettable village in a forgettable province of the Roman Empire. He lived the life of an itinerant preacher and healer, proclaiming the kingdom of God and bringing shalom to the sick. He suffered the ignoble death of an insurrectionist. To all appearances, he had been crushed by the twin wheels of religion and the state. His life and ministry a failure. But God his Father through the Spirit raised him up and revealed something truly stunning to us. Jesus' failure is our salvation. His death is our life. His destruction is our integration. Jesus is our shalom, our peace and our wholeness. All this through someone the world thought was small. So let's not be anxious about the ways we might be small. Maybe we're worried about our congregation size. Maybe you've thought before if only we could be like this congregation. I can tell you that's a dead-end street. Shalom exists for the glory and pleasure of God, because we are called to a unique purpose in God's mission of salvation. We have a unique purpose. I wouldn't have taken the call here if that weren't true. Maybe you feel small in other ways. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're at a tough job. Maybe you wonder if anyone sees you. In Isaiah 49.15, God through the prophet asks, Can a woman forget her nursing child, or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So remember, god remembers the small great things happen through the small ones and even when you feel small god is present shaping that and using that for god's purposes god continued to give us all strength in the one who became small for our sake jesus christ in him is our strength our purpose our life and our salvation, amen.